Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I mean, promises are promises, but they ain't always easy. Come on. And so it's not always easy to possess a problem. So we're, we are continuing our series today called The God of Promise. And we've been focusing on this scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, 23. You want to declare it with me today? Let's declare this. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. I think you could do just a little bit better than that. Ready? Declare this with me. Declare it. Don't read it. Declare it with me. Let Let us hold tightly without wavering to the promise we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. And we've been going through a lot of the Old Testament, kind of the themes of the Old Testament. We we talked about Adam. We talked about Noah. We talked about Moses. You guys remember we talked about Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And today we're going to talk about the Davidic covenant. Everybody say Davidic. That means the David covenant, the covenant that God made uh, to David. And we, we've been going through this series, and a couple of weeks ago, I took a couple of weeks off to take a little bit of a vacation, and that was awesome, but I wanted to continue today. And last time, about three weeks ago, we talked about the Mosaic covenant. How many were here for that? And the Mosaic Covenant was the covenant that God gave Moses for the children of Israel. And what the Mosaic Covenant was, it was a specific, for a specific people, for a specific time, for a specific purpose, basically to set the children of Israel up so the Messiah could come through them. And so as the children of Israel were following these commands, and, and something that was built in the commands was if you do good, you're going to get blessed. And if you did bad, you were going to get cursed. Remember, that was kind of the stipulation of the covenant. In fact, that's why it didn't work very good is because people don't always make good choices. How many of you have a perfect track record of making good choices? Not me. I I think I'm about 50-50, and that's on a good day, right? And so the the old covenant doesn't really work too well, but it did work in the sense that, that a man came to fulfill that covenant, the man Jesus Christ, and Jesus fulfilled the whole purpose of that. But before Jesus... Jesus, as that covenant was in place, God just was really struggling with the children of Israel, and the children of Israel were struggling with God. In fact, the name Israel means struggle with God, and they were struggling, and they were going back and forth, and God said, well, this, you know, this law thing isn't really working out the best, and so what I'll do is I'll establish judges, and they'll rule over the children of Israel, and they'll help them make decisions, and I'll send prophets, and they'll hear from me, and so they can have a little bit better connection. So God's really trying to work with the children of Israel until this covenant is fulfilled. Well, then the children of Israel get into a place where they're just back and forth with God. They're serving God. They're not serving God. They decide to worship idols. Now they're not worshiping idols. It's just this back and forth thing. And they said, hey, listen, God, we want a king like other nations. We know you've given us this law. We know you've given us this direction. We know that you've given us prophets and judges, but we want to be like other nations. We want to have a king. And so God was like, no, listen, man, this, this Mosaic covenant thing, this is a theocracy. I'm your king. This is how you live. Let, let me just be your king. And they're just continually asking God for, king, for a king. And so God gives in to their constant begging for a king. 
Isn't that crazy? So God even gives them something that he don't want to give them. He says, I'll give you a king. In fact, since you're asking to be like other nations, I'll give you a king like other nations. And so there was this man named Saul. And scripture tells us that Saul was a good looking man. Come on, kind of like myself. He was tall and he stood among the cloud. And everybody said, man, we, Saul would be a good king. We like Saul. He's, you know, he's, he's pretty crafty and he speaks well and he's good looking and he's charming. We want Saul. Well, so that's what God does. He's like, well, I'll give you Saul. Saul will be your king. He's the, he's the king, kind of king you want. That's the king you'll have. And then so Saul ends up becoming a, a really evil and vile man as he's leading the children of Israel. In fact, so much so that God says, I've rejected Saul. But during that time that Saul was leading, God looks over the earth and he sees this young shepherd boy out in a field a shepherd boy that would go out to the fields at night and begin to sing to God on his little little three string guitar and just be out there singing songs and his name was David and scripture tells us that he was kind of he was kind of reddish and he was ruddy and he's just you know kind of this kind of hyperactive kid you know that was probably you know that guy at school and so that that's David in fact David is, is passed over his whole family but God says as he said he said I saw Saul and and what he was doing I've rejected Saul and I've established someone else. So when God sees this man, this young man out in the field singing to God with all of his heart, just looking over sheep, he says, that's the kind of king that I want to lead my people. Someone who's not just after the approval of people over here. I want someone who's after me. And so God raises up David. And we know the stories of David, how he goes and defeats Goliath. And David becomes a, a, an incredible, leads it really what would be an equivalent to an empire. I mean, Israel is gaining strength. They're one of the great armies in the world. And David is leading them. And he goes to the great city, Jerusalem. And from there, he says, sets up a political system based in the capital city of Jerusalem. So here's David. I mean, he is a political figure. He's a king. And he, he says, you know what? It's not good enough that I'm just the king. He's like, God needs to be here. So during his campaigns and throughout time and through all their battles, someone had stolen, the. some of their enemies had stolen the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God, okay? So part of David's conquest was to get the presence of God back. Come on. How many are fighting for the presence of God? Come on. If you have a heart for God, you're going to fight for the presence. You're going to fight for the presence of God in the midst of your tension whenever your relationships are difficult or you don't like the news or in the middle of coronavirus. You're going to fight for the presence of God. And this was David. David is after the Lord. He was always after the Lord. And so he said this. He said, man, I, I, I need God's presence here. So he brings back the Ark of the Covenant. Now, during those days, the Ark of the Covenant stayed in what's called a tabernacle, which is like a, a glorified tent where the presence of God could move around the wilderness. Remember with Moses. Well, that never changed. It just continued to stay that way through through all this time. And so here's David brings in the Ark of the Covenant. When he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, he's wearing a, a linen ephod which means like he wasn't wearing much clothing, but it was a priestly garment. And whenever he, they brought the presence of God in, it was, everybody wasn't worshiping David the king. Like, oh, here's our, here's our branches. Look, hail King David. David was dancing wildly before the presence of God, before the Ark of the Covenant. He's dancing and people were, his wife was looking at him and she was despising him. Some of the people were like happy. Some of the people were, were mad. But I believe God was, was smiling at David to say, here he is bringing in bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. So David comes in to the city of Jerusalem. All this stuff's happening, and he sits down in his throne, and he's like, man, kind of like all the history I just gave you. And he's resting, and this is what it says 
in 2 Samuel chapter 1. It says, when, the king, when, when David, King David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. What is up with that? Why am I in the palace and God's out in, in, a, in a transport system? Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. That's what you want to hear. Come on, go ahead. The Lord's with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone, I've always been gone with the Israelites. I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders or the shepherds of my people, Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built a cedar palace or a cedar house? Verse 8, now go say to my servant, David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. Now, here it is. Because you're asking for this. I didn't ask for it, but because you asked for it. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I will provide, this is the Davidic covenant, and I will provide a homeland for my people. Everybody say his people. My people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people in Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Here it is. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. You want to make a house for me? I'm going to make a house for you. A dynasty. Everybody say that. Dynasty. A dynasty of kings. In other words, not just one king, multiple kings. For when you die and you're buried with your ancestors, I will raise up, oh, here we go, and I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. And he's, he's speaking about Jesus, but he's also speaking about Solomon. He says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he, if he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom, here it is, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. What is he telling David? He said, listen, what I'm doing here, David, through you and through your line will never end. You, the ruler will come from among you and will rule forever. Why? Because David had a heart for God. See, I love David's posture here because he's just like, I love what I have, but I'm concerned that the Lord doesn't have it as good as I do. I'm concerned that God is out there in a tent 
and I'm here in a palace. I'm concerned that, that, that I might be a little bit more popular than God. This was a legit concern that David had. And I, I love that he wasn't content with being just a good Jew or, or, or even a good Jewish king. He wanted to honor and he wanted to host the Lord. He wanted to host the Lord. And this is why they pleased God so much. See, God, God wasn't wanting a house. God wasn't wanting a big palace. He wasn't wanting a temple, the, the, the temple that Solomon built. God never asked for that. But he wanted someone who wanted to host him. Someone that wanted him to have something great. Not something that God was requiring, but something that God was desiring. In fact, we see this with David. When David sins with Bathsheba later on in his life, and he says that he, he repented before God. He's like, God, I've, I've sinned against you. When he, when he sleeps with another man's wife, right? And then has her husband killed. I think I messed that up a little bit. But he, he sleeps with another woman, right? Bathsheba. Then her husband comes in, and he has her husband killed. I mean, David is not the best person. I know you thought he was because he killed Goliath. It was actually because he was fighting for the Lord. But David was not the best character. What, what, what was good about David was not that he had a perfect track record. What was good about him is when he screwed up, he knew what to do. And when he went before the Lord, he said, Lord, if you desired sacrifices and burnt offerings, yeah, I mean, that, that is the requirement. You require me to go and, and do all these sacrifices and go through all this system to be right with you. He's like, that's the requirement, but that's not what you desire. He said, what you desire is a broken and contrite heart. What you, what you desire is a heart that's bent towards you. And this is what made David great, is that his heart was bent towards God. He was more concerned about God's desires than about God's requirements. And so many times we are asking God, we're going, God, give me a list. Tell me what I can't do and I won't do it. And how many of you know that God gave them that through the law of Moses and they failed it miserably? God said, what I want you to do is I want you to be like David. I want someone that's going to pursue me. You'll probably screw up in the pursuing, but I'll provide a provision for you. But will you honor me? Will you be concerned with hosting me? See, we have a tendency to live by God's demands, not God's desires. And that's what made David different. See, when we go beyond the Lord's regulations, he exceeds our expectations. Because David, David wasn't asking for what God gave him. He was asking to host the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I just, I just want to host you. I just want to provide a place for you. I want you to be the fame of Israel. God said, I like that. So you know what I'm going to do, David? I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And this is what God gives him, the Davidic covenant. And in that, we see several things. Uh, first of all, we see a great name. God said, I'm going to make you famous. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to make him like a movie star or his name's going to be on posters. That means that David will be known because of his heart for God. And that's how we know David, right? We know David as a man after God's own heart. We did a series several years ago called that after God's heart. And it was a series on David. Why? Because that's how we know David. And David, David is famous. His name is great to this day. In fact, he's considered the greatest king that's ever ruled on the earth other than the Lord Jesus himself. David is considered. In fact, if you look at a Jewish flag, what do you see on there? The star of 
David. Why? Because God made David famous. Why did he make David famous? Because David was set on the Lord. Not because he was ambitious. Not because he was skilled. He did have ambition. He did have skill. But it wasn't because of those things. It was because his heart was bent towards God. Because David said, this one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may stare and behold the beauty of the Lord. This is what I want, God. I don't want to be the king. I I wasn't seeking kingship. I wasn't seeking to be known. I was seeking God. God called him. God called him when he was worshiping, not when he was working. I'm not going to do it for God. I'm not going to do it for God. But are you honoring God in the doing? I've seen a lot of people credit a lot of ugly things and say God told them to do it. Or they did it just in an ugly way. Some of the, let me tell you this. Some of the most humanitarian people that I know, like that will really care for the lost, that really do. There's some of the meanest people in the room to people that aren't doing what they're doing. And I'm like, you think that's honoring the Lord? The only one that's getting credit for that is that person. David was different. He had a great name. And, and I love that how this is a reaffirming of the other covenants that we studied. Remember, that's what God told Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your name great. That's what, he, that's what he told Noah, right? Remember, Noah was in that place where, where the people were like, we want to be famous. And God's like, I'll make Noah famous because he's the one that's after me. Right? So God, God is like, I'm into making their name great if they are about making my name great. So David, again, considered the greatest, most significant king of a single nation. The second thing he promises here in verse 10, he says, I'll give you a homeland. I'll, I'll give you a place. I'll give you a place to live. Again, that's another thing, right? I will give you land. This is the promise to Abraham, right? Dominion, descendants. Then he says this, I will give you rest. I'll give you rest from your enemies. I'll give you rest from your troubles. How does that happen? That happens through justice. I'm going to provide justice. I'm going to provide peace. How many know you can't get peace without justice? And you can't get rest without peace. Some of you think that just taking a break will give you peace. It's not going to give you peace. Having justice, it's not going to give you rest. Having justice, which makes peace, will give you rest. And so some of you are like, I'm just so burned out. I just need a break. Probably what you needed is to get your priorities right. When you get your priorities right, you're not going to burn out. I've been, listen, I've been trying to burn out for like 27 years. I've been trying. just hasn't happened yet. You know why? Because I sit before the Lord on a daily basis. That's my most important thing. I add oil to my lamp, and it just didn't burn out. I'm not bragging on myself. It's just I I do it because I have to. Never been burned out. I've been wore out. Never been burned out. Guess whose job it is to keep you burning? Yours. It's not the Lord's. He said, you add fire. That's why we do the furnace. We want to keep putting oil in our lamps. We want to keep putting wood on the fire. So, rest. Some of you don't need sleep. You need rest. Some of you could get 13 hours of sleep and you wouldn't feel rested. Why? Because you don't have peace in your life. Rest comes from peace. Peace comes from justice. And God's telling David, I will give you rest. And then he gives him this. He says, a dynasty of kings. (laughs) I love that. 
Not just, not just a king. You're not just going to have a son that's going to be a king. A dynasty of kings, a, a lineage of kings. And we know this through Solomon because David was a man of war. He, God, God was like, well, I know you can't build the temple. Your hands are too dirty. So what I'll do is I'll raise up your wise son, Solomon, who was not perfect. I will raise him up and he'll actually do the building of the temple. That's why we call it Solomon's temple. And Solomon, the son becomes the sign of the covenant because when he's born we can look at he can look at his son and go i remember god promised me i can remember god promised me that through my lineage a king is coming a kingdom is coming and the fifth fifth thing that's in the davidic covenant is an everlasting throne or kingdom other words a kingdom that will never end which sounds crazy because most kingdoms have terms And he's telling David, listen, the kingdom that I'm going to establish in you, David, because you want to host me, because you want to host the eternal one, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put someone in your loins that will rule forever. That's crazy. And get this, because it's everlasting, it's also unconditional because David goes on to make mistakes doesn't he? I mean, this is before Bathsheba. This is before Uriah the Hittite. This is before David makes some big mistakes. He makes some big mistakes after this. He ruled royally and he sinned royally. And so did his son Solomon. It wasn't based on their performance. It was based upon God's promise. So God makes this unconditional promise. And this is what happens eventually throughout the years hundreds of years, eventually the monarchy ends. Eventually there's no one to take the throne and Israel's without a king. So I bet the people assumed, I guess what God promised David isn't going to come true. There's no king. He said that, that it would rule forever, that this kingdom would rule forever. It would appear that the Davidic covenant has passed, that God wasn't good to fulfill his end of the deal. But God had promised. But God had promised. God had promised that a king was coming. And it wasn't going to be a king that the world wanted, but it was going to be a king that the world needed. And so a thousand years after David, a thousand years, that's a long time to wait on a promise. Some of you can't wait 10 days on a promise or 10 weeks on a promise. Some of you have been waiting 10 years, and that's been, but can you imagine waiting a thousand years for God to come through something? I mean, you're like dead in your grave, going, God. <laughs> come on. Promises don't always come easy. So, a thousand years later, God shows up to a young woman who's engaged to a man named Joseph who's from the lineage of David. David's his great, 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 great grandpa. In fact, the the book of Matthew, if you read the first chapter, you'll read all those grandpas. And there's this man named Joseph. And God looks at him. And God looks at the woman that he's in a relationship with and they're keeping themselves pure. Come on, they're doing it God's way. And he looks at this young virgin woman and he goes, that's the one. It's time. 
It's time. And he comes to her through an angel in Luke chapter 1 in the city of Nazareth. And he says this, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And his name will be Jesus. And he will be he will be very great. And he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will be a son of the most high, but he'll also be a son of David. He'll be a son and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. And so here's Jesus a thousand years later in Bethlehem. In the same city that David was born in, Bethlehem, the city of David, the bread of life, born in a feeding trough, the lion of Judah, born in a place where animals are kept, in the city of David, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God is born. What is he born for? He's born to rule. He's born to reign. But not like the the rulers that we've seen in the past. No, it's a different kind of kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. Jesus was a lot like David in a lot of ways because of where he was born. And I love that David was a man after God's own heart. But Jesus revealed God's heart. David was a pretty good shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. David was anointed one time. Jesus is the anointed one. Come on. David killed a giant. Jesus defeats all the giants. David was the king of a nation. Jesus is the king of the universe. I mean, the parallels are just crazy, and here he is. He's a lot like his great, 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 great earthly grandpa. 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus was referred to as the son of David. Why? You wouldn't understand that unless you were a Jew. But the Jews had a promise, a promise that God made to them through the man David. And so they've been waiting for the Messiah to come for a thousand years. And he shows up. He says, here I am to fulfill what I promised David. And because of that, because we have the man Jesus, Because we have the Son of the Most High, because we have the Son of David, we have also a great name. You have a great name. See, you have a great name because you have lost your identity to find His. See, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, Scripture tells us. Some of you are living like that list. Again, God, what do you require of me? God's saying, you're mine. I own all the rights to you. See, Colossians 3 verse 3 says this, for you died to this life. Again, why baptism is important. You died to this life. You'll bury yourself in the waters of baptisms. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden. I want to be seen. I want to be seen. No, you want to be hidden. Where did God find David? When he was hidden. Some of you are so busy trying to get seen. God's saying, I want you to be hidden. I want you to lose yourself in me. Because when you lose yourself in me, you'll find who you really are. Hidden in Christ, in God. And when Christ, I love this, who is your life? Who is your life? What is your life about? Jesus. It's not because you're radical. It's just because you follow him. That's radical, man. He's he's really lost his life for Jesus. That's the, the mark of every believer. I'm hidden in Christ. 
who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will also share in his glory. Some of you want to share in your own glory. Some of you want a, a taste of your own glory. But he's saying, listen, if you will die, you'll get to share in mine, which is way better than your glory. Great better than, than your little glimmer, your little impact that you can make on the world. Way greater than that. There's a greater glory, but you got to die to find it. you got to hide yourself to get it. It's a great name. It's better than the name that you got. i got a great name. I mean, all over the world, people's names are Josh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, we're like taking over the world. Josh, Josh, Josh. I'm so tired of meeting Joshes. But, right? There's another one. <laughs> hey, what's his name? Josh Doe. My life is hidden. It's not about my name. It's about his. My identity's hidden. I am Christ follower Josh Brown. It's a great name. See? Before your political persuasion, well, I don't care if you're a liberal. I don't care if you're a conservative. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. Before any of that, you are a Christ follower. You belong to Jesus. Some of you, I can tell by your Facebook, some of you more identify with your politics than you do your Savior. Come on. Then your king. You have more allegiance to America. Then you do the kingdom of God. Why don't we say pledge of allegiance in our church? I'll just tell you this right now. Why we don't declare the pledge of allegiance at Overflow Church is because our allegiance is to Jesus and to his king. Doesn't mean that we're not proud to be Americans because some of us are. I am. But I'm prouder to be a Texan. But, but even before I'm a Texan... I love Texas. I love me some Tex-Mex. I love me some enchilada. I love my great state nation of Texas. I love it. Love that I'm a citizen of Texas. Not necessarily proud of the town I was born in, but that's another story. But even before I'm a Texan, I'm a follower of Christ. Before I'm a conservative or a liberal, I'm a follower of Christ. Before I'm a white man, I am a follower of Christ. Before I'm a father, I'm a follower of Christ. Before I'm a husband, I'm a follower of Christ. And if I will follow him well, everything else will look right. It'll be the way it needs to be. Beloved, before you identify with anything, identify that you are the people of God. You bear a great name. So straighten up. Straighten up. And bear that name proud. We've got a movement that's saying, I don't like to call myself a Christian. Why not? Because there are a lot of bad Christians. Guess what? There are a lot of bad doctors, too. A lot of bad politicians. A lot of bad everything. So why don't you be a good one? Why don't you own it? You know what the name Christ? You know where that came from, Christians? Come from the disciples living like Jesus. And they look at the disciples and they go, (laughs) You're following that Jesus of Nazareth. That one who claimed to be the son of David. You're following that Messiah guy, Jesus. Y'all are like little Jesuses. You're like little Christ. That's what the name Christian means. It means little anointed ones. How about you start acting like a little anointed one? How about you start bearing that name? You represent, you bear the name of Jesus. You're, you should be proud to be a Christian. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Hello, I'm a Christian. My name is Josh Brown. I'm a follower of Jesus. My identity has been lost because I serve a great king. Y'all all right? First Peter, it wasn't always that way, by the way. You weren't, once were not a people. First Peter 2, 10. Once you weren't a people, but now, now you're the people of God. How did that happen? Because you're born that way? Because you're born in America? Because you're born 
privileged or whatever. No. It's because you placed your faith in Jesus. You weren't a people. It don't matter how you were born. It don't matter if you're raised in church or raised in the hood. It don't matter where you were born. What matters is have you been born again because you weren't a people. Whether you were in the high rise or the low rise, you were just born a people, but not the people of God. But when you were born again, you became the people of God. But in order to be born again, you got to die first. All right. So we get a great name. <laughs> I mean that to be preachy, but that to encourage you. Be proud. Be proud that you're a follower of Christ. Bear that name Christian, you know. I mean, don't put the bumper sticker on your car if you're not going to drive well. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, be proud. Be proud about, about following Jesus. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words and my name, I will be ashamed of you. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Number two, we get a great name. Number two, we get a homeland. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but listen, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, that we are citizens of heaven. Listen, heaven is your homeland. Listen, we are just on a journey on this earth. I mean, I am, again, I love being a Texan. It's great. It's one of the great joys of my life is that I get to be a Texan, that God loved me so much that I was born in Texas. That's really good news. But in all reality, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Why? Because I have a home that knows no sorrow. I have a home where Jesus is. You know where your home is? You say, where where are you from? Where's your home? You always talk about where your daddy lives. My home is where my daddy lives. My home is where my father is. My home is where my savior is. That's where he is. That's my home. Heaven is my home. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no death. There'll be no crying. There'll be no pain. They'll be rejoicing. They'll be gazing at the beautiful one forever heaven is our home we have a homeland and this ain't it beloved don't get so troubled don't get so troubled by the affairs of this world you're just passing through you're just passing through by God you're going to leave an incredible legacy you sure are by the grace of God you are but you're just passing through invest some things here but listen be heaven minded be heaven minded be heaven-minded. Don't let the world rob you of joy. It's not rooted here. You got some, you're going to be with Jesus one day, face to face. Some of y'all going to be sooner than later. All right. <laughs> All right. Number three, rest. Get rest. How do we get rest? We talked about that. Through peace. How do you get peace? Through justice. How is justice made? Listen, we're, we're talking about more than social justice. I'm all about social justice. But there's something greater than social justice. It's called eternal justice. Right? Then we need to start there. Isaiah 9, 7 says this, the greatness of his government. Who's his? Not our government. His government. Some people treat America like it's God's government. It ain't God's government. God's government's above this government. The greatness of his government. I want his government. Government. That's a, that, that will govern your life better than any president you can elect the greatness of his government you know what's different about his government and our government we live in a democracy which means we get a choice the kingdom of God is not a democracy you don't get to decide you don't get to decide what you, what's right and wrong God decides that you don't get to decide how you live God decides that because it's a monarchy we serve a king not a president some of y'all don't like that because you've been in America your whole life. Just like me. You're like, oh, I don't want anybody ruling my life. Yeah, you do. Because he's a good king. 
The greatness of his government peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, established and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. From that time on and forevermore. Forever, forever, forever. Jesus will rule through rest. There it is. Of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be peace forever in Christ. You want peace? Get it in Christ. Get it under the blood of Jesus. Number four is this a, a dynasty. We get a dynasty just like was promised to David. Guess what? You are part of a dynasty. Whew. Hey, look at all my rings, right? Y'all see that Michael Jordan documentary? Oh, look at that dynasty. Love it. Guess what? You're part of a dynasty. Come on. I love those dynasties. They're great. But you're part of a dynasty, a better dynasty. You're part of the royal family because you're in Christ. When he's talking about dynasty, some, some translations use the word, I will build a house for you. Remember that? A house for you that is a great dynasty. What is a house? It's a building. Right? Guess what? 1 Corinthians 3.9, you are God's building. You are. God's like, I'm going to build a temple that will last forever. Guess what? You're God's building. You're that building. You're going to last forever. You'll get, your body will get renovated. You'll get a heavenly body later. Come on, praise God for that. <laughs> More Whataburger, right? <laughs> Almost lunchtime. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Check this out. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. How many of y'all are Gentiles? How many of y'all are Jews? You're supposed to raise your hand on the first one, right? <laughs> if you're not a Jew, if you're not born a Jew, you're a Gentile. How many of y'all are Gentile believers? All of us, right? Some of y'all are Jewish. Let's talk after service. All right, listen, Messianic Jews in the room. Okay, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. There it is again, along with God's holy people. You are members. Oh, I love this. You are members of God's family. That's a royal dynasty. You're part of God's family. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What are you? You're part of God's dynasty. Together, we are his house. You're his house. You're his house. You're his house. You're his house. Well, the house, people talk about going to church. Well, let's go to the house of God. You're the house of God. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, become, be, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, as us, are also being made part of his dwelling. So he's saying, listen, the covenant to David wasn't just to the Jews. It was also to the Gentiles. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Where does God live? In you. Not just in your little Jesus in my heart, little pricking of the conscience. No. God dwells in you. Live like it. Live like it in holiness and live like it in power. God lives in you. You are God's shelter. <laughs> You're where God hangs out. Where does God hang out on the earth? Inside of his people. That's why he performs miracles through you. Because he's in you. God rebuilt us so we could host him. 
So he was like, David's like, I want to build a house for you. He's like, watch this. You're going to be a house. I'll build the house. I'll rebuild the house. A royal host to host royalty. We're not, listen, we're not a perfect house. <laughs> no, no, we ain't. I think Overflow Church, we've heard this a lot of times. They, they usually don't last long. Overflow's church is just the perfect church. Oh, man, don't say that because I know you're going to find out we're not. And then you'll keep looking for the perfect church. But guess what? When you showed up, you messed it up, whatever church it is, because no church is perfect. The, the, the church, the capital C church, all the churches, our church, the church next door, the church further on the strip, the church down the street, none of them are perfect. We're not perfect. But guess what? We have a perfect foundation. And guess what we do at Overflow Church? We value the church. We value, we value the reputation of the church because God said he's going to make your name great. So we're real protective about what people say about the church. Yeah. Not just our church. In fact, we're probably more protective about other churches than we are our church. Right. We don't like people talking about other Christians. Why? Because why would you throw a rock at your own house? Right. Better yet, why would you throw a rock at God's house? I mean, you talk about my bride, we're going to have a problem. I'm going to have a problem with you. You talk about God's bride, he's going to have a problem. And you don't want to be on the side of that. Mm. The last is this. Through the son of David, we get an eternal kingdom. An eternal kingdom. And it's not just, it's not just heaven when you die, it's heaven now. Philippians 2.9 says this about Jesus. He said, didn't Jesus die? Yeah, but he beat death, remember? He reigns over death. He reigns over death, hell, and the grave. He reigns over every sin, over every sickness, over every deformity. Jesus rules over all. Jesus, Jesus rules over every social issue. Jesus rules over it all. He rules over poverty. He rules over racism. He, he rules over coronavirus. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name, there it is, that famous name, that name that is above every name. And at that name, Jesus, every knee, every knee. You know what? You can choose when you're going to bow. You can choose to bow in this life or you can choose whenever you stand before him and he's going, it's down to bow now. Unfortunately, you're not coming in, but you're going to bow anyway. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Beloved, Jesus is above it all. Jesus is ruling and reigning, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop because the world is a mess. It doesn't stop because your marriage is a mess. It doesn't, it doesn't stop because the doctor's report. It's that Jesus is on the throne. Yeah. And he will rule from that throne forever. Yeah. He's going to rule the son of David. The same promise that God gave David. Luke chapter 18. This is a Jewish beggar. Named Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. How would you like that to be your identity? Blind Bartimaeus. 
And Bartimaeus would hang outside the city of Jericho and listen real good because he couldn't see. I think he probably had a clay pot or something that he would shake to keep some clay coins in or some metal or anything that anybody lived by the mercy of those around him, a poor man begging outside the city. But he heard a rumor about this man named Jesus who came to town every once in a while. And he heard that this man, Jesus, could possibly be the man that God promised to David. He heard that he could actually be a descendant of David. He heard that he was the Messiah. He heard something else. He heard that he speaks and touches blind eyes and they open. And so he couldn't see real well. Oh, but he could hear pretty good. And he heard Jesus was coming to town. So when he heard the crowd approaching and he heard people murmuring from a distance, Jesus, he began to lift his voice. He couldn't see, but he could scream. And he started crying out, son of David, son of David. What is he saying? Messiah, son of David. Don't pass me by. Son of David, have mercy on me. I'm right over here. I don't know where you're at. I can hear you. I know you're in the room. Where are you? Son of David, don't pass me by. The people are like, hey, 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 Bart, chill out just a little bit. Jesus is here. Show some respect. Son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. Chill out, Bartimaeus. Just relax. He'll get to you in a minute. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, with those holy ears, perks up and walks over to this man that had been blind. He said, what can I do for you today, Bartimaeus? He said, I want to see you. I want to look at you with my eyes. I haven't been able to see anything, but I want to see you. Have mercy on me. Why is he asking for mercy? Is he asking for forgiveness? He's asking for all of it. Because when you, when you, when a king approaches you, when royalty approaches you and you ask for mercy, what you're saying is you're saying, listen, I will not depend upon the mercy of the crowd. I will not depend upon the mercy of the rich, of those around me to provide my needs. What I'm doing is I'm pledging an allegiance to you, and I'm saying, have mercy on me. I'm asking you to be the one to be my provider. And so he's telling him, Bartimaeus, you can see now. Open your eyes. When he opens those eyes, he sees Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of the Most High the Son of Man, the Son of God, standing before him, he's healed. Do you want to see him today? Do you want to see the king? Some of you want the kingdom, but you don't want the king. You don't don't get the kingdom without the king. It's the only way you get the kingdom is by getting the king. It's the only way. 